Welcome back, ghosts, ghouls, and things that go bump in the night. So, I've been thinking. It's always time for a good Lovecraft story. So this week, I spent a little time debating exactly which story I wanted to tell. And, if I do say so myself, I picked a pretty good one. So, why don't you sit back, relax, and tune in for Dagon by H.P. Lovecraft. I'm writing this under an appreciable mental strain, since by tonight I shall be no more penniless and at the end of my supply of the drug which alone makes my life endurable, I can bear the torture no longer and shall cast myself from this garret window onto the squalid street below. Do not think from my slavery to morphine that I am a weakling or a degenerate. When you have read these hastily scrawled pages, you may guess, though never fully realize, why it is that I must have forgetfulness or death. It was one of the most open and least frequented parts of the broad Pacific that the packet of which I was supercargo fell a victim to the German sea raider. The Great War was then at its very beginning, and the ocean forces of the Hun had not completely sunk to their later degradation, so that our vessel was made legitimate prize, whilst we, of her crew, were treated with the fairness and consideration due to us as naval prisoners. So liberal, indeed, was the discipline of our captors, that five days after we were taken, I had managed to escape alone in a small boat with water and provisions for a good length of time. When I finally found myself adrift and free, I had but little idea of my surroundings. Never a competent navigator, I could only guess vaguely by the sun and stars that I was somewhere south of the equator. Of the longitude I knew nothing, and no island or coastline was in sight. The weather kept fair, and for uncounted days I drifted aimlessly beneath the scorching sun, waiting either for some passing ship or to be cast on the shores of some habitable land. But neither ship nor land appeared, and I began to despair in my solitude upon the heaving vastness of unbroken blue. The change happened whilst I slept. Its details I shall never know, for my slumber, though troubled and dream-infested, was continuous. When at last I awakened, it was to discover myself half-sucked into a slimy expanse of hellish black mire, which extended about me in monotonous undulations as far as I could see, and in which my boat lay grounded some distance away. Though one might well imagine that my first sensation was to be of wonder at so prestigious and unexpected a transformation of scenery, I was, in reality, more horrified than astonished, for there was in the air and in the rotting soil a sinister quality which chilled me to the very core. The region was putrid with carcasses of decaying fish and other less describable things which I saw protruding from the nasty mud of the unending plain. Perhaps 
I should not hope to convey in mere words the unutterable hideousness that can dwell in absolute silence and barren immensity. There was nothing within hearing, and nothing in sight, save a vast reach of black slime. Yet the very completeness of the stillness of the landscape oppressed me with a nauseating fear. The sun was blazing down from a sky which seemed to me almost black in its cloudless cruelty, as though reflecting an inky marsh beneath my feet. As I crawled into the stranded boat, I realized that only one theory could explain my position. Through some unprecedented volcanic upheaval, a portion of the ocean floor must have been thrown to the surface, exposing reasons which for innumerable millions of years had lain hidden under unfathomable watery depths. So great was the extent of the new land which had risen beneath me that I could not detect the faintest noise of the surging ocean strain my ears as I might, nor were there any sea fowl to prey upon the dead things. For several hours I sat thinking, or brooding, in the boat, which lay upon its side and afforded a slight shade as the sun moved across the heavens. As the day progressed, the ground lost some of its stickiness and seemed likely to dry sufficiently for traveling purposes in a short time. That night I slept but little, and the next day I made for myself a pack containing food and water, preparatory to an overland journey in search of the vanished sea and possible rescue. On the third morning, I found the soil dry enough to walk upon with ease. The odor of the fish was maddening, but I was too much concerned with graver things in my mind so slight and evil, and set out boldly for an unknown goal. All day I forged steadily westward, guided by a faraway hummock which rose higher than any other elevation on the rolling desert. That night I encamped, and on the following day still traveling towards the hummock, though that object seemed scarcely nearer than it had when I first spied it. By the fourth evening, I attained a base to the mound, which turned out to be slightly higher than it had appeared from a distance, an entwining valley setting it out in much sharper relief from the general surface. Too weary to ascend, I slept in the shallow of the hill. I know not why my dreams were so wild that night, but ere the waning and fantastically gibbous moon had risen far above the eastern plain, I was awake in a cold perspiration, determined to sleep no more. Such visions that I had experienced were too much for me to endure again. And, in the glow of the moon, I saw how unwise I had been to travel by day. Without the glare of the parching sun, my journey would have cost me less energy. Indeed, I now felt quite able to perform the ascent which had deterred me at sunset. Picking up my pack, I started for the crest of the eminence. I have said that the unbroken monotony of the rolling plain was a source of vague horror to me, but I think my horror was greater when I gained the summit of the mound and looked down onto the other side into an immeasurable pit or cannon, whose black recesses of the moon had not yet soared high enough to illuminate. I felt myself on the edge of the world peering over the rim into an unfathomable chaos of eternal light, though my horror ran through the curious reminiscence of Paradise Lost 
and of Satan's hideous climb through the unfashioned realm of darkness. As the moon climbed higher in the sky, I began to see that the slopes of the valley were not quite so perpendicular as I had imagined. Ledges and outcroppings of rock afforded fairly easily footholds for a descent, whilst after a drop of a few hundred feet, the declivity became very gradual. Urged on by an impulse which I cannot definitely analyze, I scrambled with difficulty down the rocks and stood on the gentler slope beneath, gazing into the deep staggering depths where no light had yet penetrated. And that, my lovely listeners, is where I'm afraid we'll have to pause for this week. I don't know about you, but I'm really interested in seeing where our stranded narrator is going to end up and what horrors he may uncover in this deep, dark chasm. You can let me know what you think of the story so far by finding me on most of the social media apps by searching Haunted Horror Storian. You can also send me an email directly at hauntedhorrorstorian at gmail.com. We'll finish the story next week. But until then, listeners, stay spooky and remember... Sometimes it's more than just a story.